0: Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the Maritime Ireland radio show. The programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. Where we focus on Ireland's marine sphere. As does this lady who has an intense relationship with the sea.
1: We're at 60 to 70 percent salt water, and that water is continually cycling through us. So we're part of the water cycle. So there's this notion of separateness that I just <laughs> wish we could do away with. And how do we see it as, as being all connected?
0: That's Iskei Britain, who comes from that wonderful part of County Donegal, Rosnaula, and who, fascinated by the sea, chased big waves around the world and became a marine scientist and marine ambassador. She'd be telling us why she has salt water in the blood, where her parents placed it. And we'll highlight also in this edition two national organisations who see the vital importance of young people in the marine sphere. One loves the lifeboat on which his father has served with the RNLI, so much so that when it left their home place, he traced and recovered it.
2: James's 14-year-old son, Ronan, inspired by his father's stories, embarked on a search to track her down. Through various internet searches and online forums, Ronan established that the lifeboat went from Clifton to Ballyglass in County Mayo.
0: The boat went a lot further than there and we'll tell you how the 14-year-old persevered in his search. And we'll hear how the young people on the offshore islands are being given a role in the future development of the islands.
3: Kogal Ilanairn has long been keen to start an Islanders Youth Forum. As the youth are the future, it is so important that they are heard.
0: Ireland's connection with the sea is as old as time itself. The sea around our coastline, our lakes and rivers are all part of Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. Socially and economically, they're vital to this island nation. What is it like to live with the sea as a constant companion and part of your life? Professional seafarers could answer that question from their experience of the world's oceans and the seas around Ireland, as could fishermen from their engagement with the sea, and as would all those who have association with the sea. Eastkey Britain has hers from childhood and parental influence, which led her to become an international surfer, a leader of women's involvement in surfing, chasing the big waves in various parts of the world, delving into the importance of the sea as a marine scientist. We are connected to the ocean in every breath we take, as 70% of the oxygen we breathe comes from the oceans. Salt Water in the Blood is her new book, dedicated to water protectors. My colleague Justin Marr talks to Iske about the book and her lifelong love for the oceans. It was
4: early January when Dr. Iske Britton was born, a time of year when relentless storm systems wail against the northwest of Ireland. As her parents made their way to Sligo General Hospital. Iski's mother, even though her contractions were quickening, insisted that they turn off the main road and drive to the headland, so she could see the sea. Possibly for the last time.
1: I guess she was really at a crisis point in many ways with uh, the pregnancy and and the labour and the delivery were really difficult, Um, but it's like she had this intuitive knowing that if she could get to the sea first (laughs) before the hospital, it would in some way kind of help the process, which is kind of remarkable. And I was born in a new moon in January, so it's a time of really wild storms, usually in the Atlantic Ocean, and it was maybe maybe good timing for someone like me. But I guess the other thing is, too, that the place my mum my got my dad to stop at on the way to the hospital as I was being born, it was actually Mullock Headland in Sligo, which has you know now become much more famous as a big wave surfing spot. <laughs> at the time, it was considered just so wild and unsurfable. But a place that always drew people to witness the power of the ocean the Atlantic and loads itself onto the rocks there. That's followed me through as well, and it was a couple of decades later that I ended up actually out there surfing it.
4: In her new book, Saltwater in the Blood, Iskie Britain looks at the development of her deep connection to water through her life and work. Iskie was named after a surf break in County Sligo, a fitting name for someone who was brought up by a family of Irish surfing pioneers.
1: I write about it in the book as a blue heritage, which... I kind of find the best way to describe it in, in that it feels like it's in my very DNA. But I often not just like in a biological sense, but also that we're so shaped and formed by the stories we're passed down and just been very influenced by hearing the stories of my dad's early experiences pioneering surfing in the northwest of Ireland when you know he started when he was 12 uh, and the influence of his parents so my grandparents, in particular, my grandmother, Mary Britton, and the role she played in kind of essentially or inadvertently kicking off the sort of surfing revolution in Ireland so to speak. Now much later in my life I realized oh that was a real like education in you know almost oceanography or meteorology or you know like actually understanding and learning the tides and weather patterns and swell systems and in a way, learning how to read the ocean. And and that feels like, I know I I do it without realizing, and it's people who maybe hang out with me, maybe notice it as odd that anytime I see a body of water, I'm tracking what's the wind doing on the surface? What direction is it blowing? Is there white water hitting the rocks to indicate the size of swell? I just do it automatically. With that ocean connection and to have that within a family means that no matter how far away I was or when I was traveling, it was a way to really connect back um, with each other. And especially um, my dad, I surf with him all the time still, you know, he's in his 60s now and, and still charging hard. But there was a time in Newfoundland and I was working there in a research center at Memorial University, on actually a small scale fisheries project. And of course, I also combined it with surfing (laughs) in very cold, remote waters. But the swell systems that track across the North Atlantic are the same, but they start first off the east coast of America, usually, and and kind of swing by Newfoundland. Many days later, the same swell from that storm system will arrive on the Donegal coastline. So I could always give them a heads up (laughs) how how big or good a ground swell it was. And, and that's why I always feel more grounded or that sense of maybe home or belonging if I can locate where the water is, especially the ocean.
4: Iski learned to surf at the age of four. And that started her on a path that would see her win five consecutive Irish national surfing championships. But while it taught her a lot, the rigidity of competition always felt a bit constricting.
1: I started competing from probably, I was, an under eight national champion at one stage um, because the national championships were always held at Rosnalla at my local beach. And there were really a chance for just all us kids to get together and then meet kids from other parts of the country that we otherwise never would and form these friendships by going to the different events, you know, around the coastline. And then, of course, I kind of took that to the extremes, uh, joining the Irish surf team and competing internationally for a very long time and, and professionally. And it's such a different mindset. I kind of feel I experience them as almost two different experiences altogether in terms of surfing outside of the competitive environment and surfing within one. Surfing within one is much more... You're playing a game and there's a performance aspect to it, which is very different to this much more expressive experience. Probably how it's always been for my father is this art form, creating art when you're riding a wave, even though it's it's very temporal <laughs> and impermanent. And no surprise, my father's also an artist. And those aspects of surfing were always both very alive in me and of course caused tension, trying to reconcile the competitive aspect with the spiritual artistic side of it, as well. Well, For me, it was a great way at a young age to sort of have that drive and focus, that sense of purpose to channel my energy into. And so I did gain a lot of positives from it. The challenging part I feel was really unfortunate, and I suspect is maybe an issue across women's sports, especially for young women and through those teenage years in particular, was this feeling of almost, despite doing a physical activity, having to suppress what I was experiencing in my body uh, as I was changing and growing and developing. The attitude was that to be a good surfer, We had to surf more like a guy, to be aggressive. Um, to surf like a girl was kind of considered a... <laughs> which is crazy now. It's it's really lovely to see the shift because women are getting greater representation and visibility in, in surfing media, slowly but surely there's just such a myriad of ways to express yourself when surfing and it's so lovely to see a woman when she's really connected to her body in power and in her flow and then also seeing that there you know just so many stereotypes being turned on their head women cleaning up accolades in big wave surfing regardless of gender riding the biggest waves in the world and i think there's a huge opportunity especially with these sports that are in water and in the ocean because it's such an embodied experience to really encourage a really positive relationship with the body and to build body confidence and introduce body literacy into things like more mainstream sports as part of our training and development within the sport but also encouraging our own personal development in particular as young women
4: According to research carried out by Lloyds in 2019, most people in the world can't swim, and women make up the majority. While 60% of men say they can swim, only 30% of women say they can. In low-income countries, that number drops to 40% for men and 15% for women. Women and girls are 14 times more at
1: risk or likely to drown times of, of natural disasters and, and flooding and that's what we saw happen at the time of the really severe floods in Bangladesh and then the 2004 tsunami and so on. It is a case where most of the world still that yeah women and girls just don't have access to those um, what are really vital life skills of being able to swim and have that knowledge of the ocean um, and then being quite restricted by various social and cultural norms, be that clothing or having to stay at home, not having time time, you know, certainly not having leisure time at their disposal uh, and things like that.
4: For six years, Iski Britain visited Iran, developing the Be Like Water program with minority groups of women to help them tap into the creative and therapeutic qualities of water in the sea. Her groundbreaking journey in 2013 introduced the sport of surfing to women and local communities and was chronicled in the award-winning documentary Into the Sea.
1: Some of my greatest teachers have been just meeting these other remarkable young women in unlikely parts of the world and, and bridging across cultures in places in particular like Iran. Surfing in Iran and with the women learning to surf there has been the greatest impact on my life, um, for sure, in really unexpected ways. The Be Like Water program was initiated by myself and Shireen Garami, Iran's first female triathlete, as a way to support and facilitate this space for women and girls to experience the ocean in a really positive way, where the environment didn't feel exclusionary to them and where it's actually built confidence rather than instilling fear. And so that, that's where we start with the Be Like Water program is this wonderful exercise in building confidence and trust with women and water and their bodies. It was a real eye-opener for me. Um, but then when they transition onto a surfboard, they just have this knowledge and understanding of waves and how they move and how they feel in this really embodied way rather than being stuck in their heads trying to worry about what's the next step I should take. (laughs) And they really excelled at the surfing far more so than the boys at the time who would kind of just grab their board and charge out and get immediately um, knocked down by the waves. (laughs) And I will say the other remarkable thing was just this wonderful space of acceptance through the shared experience where all those kind of boundaries and barriers that are on land began to blur and and it's still a a mixed sport in Iran. It's really taken hold, it's officially recognised and men and women, boys and girls, participate in it today, which is really remarkable.
4: As an academic, has worked on national and international research projects. She's published several peer-reviewed journal articles and is a regular columnist with Oceanographic magazine her work explores the relationship between people and nature especially the effects on health and social well-being it's a field of study that taps into our deep connection with water
1: if i call myself a social ecologist i find is often the best description because i realize my work centers on understanding our human relationship with the ocean especially um and also to understand that the state of the ocean and how it's doing as well as how our society is, is to do with relationships. And I, I'm most interested in where those relationships are broken or damaged and how we might restore them because I have had such Privilege to have this really positive connection with the ocean and just how much benefit it's given my whole life. So how do we create a more inclusive and diverse ocean if we can do that, and especially through experiences like swimming and surfing that just creates such a positive feeling um, and, and deep connection? Uh, that then spills over into maybe inspiring future marine scientists and (laughs) uh, ocean policymakers. And so the more diversity we have, everything benefits as a result of that. I have been immersed in water quite literally (laughs) my whole life, and I still feel like I am just scratching the surface. It continues to blow my mind. It holds so much wonder and awe because it touches every aspect of our life. But it's something I think I would love to see celebrated so much more. And there's shifts starting to happen. I mean, we have such a innate connection with water. And in all our ancestry, water is sacred. Water is the source of all life. So just as we're waking up and realizing these potentially huge benefits in particular for mental health and and psychological well-being of being able to access these blue spaces and there's so much evidence in support of that, we're also realizing that, hang on a minute, we can't be well in the sick sea. However the water is doing is mirroring how we are in society and how we are in ourselves in terms of our own health. They're completely interconnected. If we look at ourselves as bodies of water, which we are quite literally, we're 60 to 70 percent salt water and that water is continually cycling through us. So, we're part of the water cycle. So, there's this notion of separateness that I just <laughs> wish we could do away with. And how do we see it as, as being all connected? It's really reciprocal, it's two way. If we look at it in terms of our health and well being, if we restore the water, we restore our own health. And we need to be looking at the two together always because they're completely interdependent.
4: Saltwater in the Blood is published by Watkins Media and is available from all good bookshops now.
0: East Key Britain from Rosnola in County Donegal and the lifetime's involvement with the sea. young people are the future of this island nation and so their involvement with and appreciation of the maritime sector is essential. So we go now to one of the national organisations who join with the Maritime Ireland radio show to convey their news, views and opinions. Kogol Ilona Heron is the Islands Federation, the national representative organisation for the offshore islands, whose secretary is Rhoda Twambley and she joins us from Inishdar Island in Clue Bay, County Mail.
3: Hello, Tom, and greetings to all the islands and lovers of the islands out there. Kogal Ilanirn has long been keen to start an Islanders Youth Forum. The board was really impressed with the number of young people who attended workshops on housing and visioning the future for islands, as well as the positivity and foresight expressed in their input. The Islands Youth Forum will be a way for young islanders to meet, albeit virtually for the moment, discuss issues and have some fun. As the youth are the future, it is so important that they are heard, so we're keen to get their ideas on a range of island issues. Anyone interested needs to register by the 24th of November, and the contact details are on the Kogol Facebook page. Once again, West Cork scooped the Tidy Towns Islands Award. For 13 consecutive years, Bear has been named as Overall Islands Winner, and that's some record. Shirkin Island was named as Highly Commended, so congratulations there as well. Shirkin's score has increased year on year, and this year there was only five points in the difference, and I have it from a reliable source that Bear had better watch their backs. Great news for Tory Island as well. Seanine MacEveigh of Cashainagar Donegal has been appointed as their language planning officer, which is a big help in finalizing their language plan. Importantly, Tory's school Nev Collumkeel has been given approval to advance to the tender stage for an extension to the school, which will provide two extra classrooms. I'm sure that Islanders and visitors have been missing the annual Inter-Islands football competition, which has been cancelled for the past two years due to COVID restrictions. Well, good news, everybody. The competition will be held, all being well, the weekend of the 21st of May on Bear Island. The organizing committee is determined to make this an extra special event, so keep your eyes peeled for more details. All islanders know and appreciate the work of the RNLI, so it was happy news for the Aaron Moore residents that planning permission has been granted for a new multi-million-euro lifeboat station. The old station is to be demolished to make way for the new two-story building, which will include two boat sheds, a workshop, and a training room. Cornelon is currently organizing training sessions for all those involved in local business and/or social and community development, there is a wide range of session topics, from strategy and business planning, branding, marketing, and idea generation, to name a few. The series of workshops will run from December first through February 2022, and as noted by Core CEO Mora Umlöhn. The training is very participant-based and deals with actual experiences rather than the usual training format. For more information on this program, please contact Morda at 099-75096. Christmas is creeping up on us, and I would encourage all to visit their island markets and shops, not to mention online businesses, for locally produced gifts. Not only is it vital to support our island artisans, especially during these difficult times, but there's a lot of fine, healthy, and prize-winning crafts out there. Jumpers, jackets, paintings, seaweed products, cheese and fudge, gin and whiskey, to name just a few. All producers will appreciate your purchase, as will the recipient of your gift. And while we're at it, don't forget the lifeboats. Please, where possible, Purchase RNLI cards and gifts and donate to this vital service. Till next time, this is Rhoda Twombly of Kogal Ilanairn urging everyone to stay safe, stay local and slán from the islands.
0: Thank you, Rhoda. And from the offshore islands and their connection with the RNLI to that organisation itself. RNLI crews in communities all around the country, both on the coast and inland waters, go out on rescue missions while their families worry about them. That's natural. But the families always continue to support their life-saving work. Neef Stevenson is the RNLI Public Affairs Manager in Ireland and has a heartwarming story about a young man in Clifton County Mayo so impressed by his father's involvement with a lifeboat that when the boat finished its service with the RNLI, he followed it.
2: Crew families are extensions of lifeboat stations. They live and breathe them. They may not go to sea on the boats, but they do everything else. They keep the show on the road when their loved one is out on a shout and they are a huge, vital backup to the front line on the water. And so it is with the Mullen family on the west coast at Clifton in County Galway. Two brothers there are coxswains. One of them is James, who has been a volunteer lifeboat crew member at Clifton-Ornalli for over 27 years. There was always something special about the C-Class 522 inshore lifeboat, which was stationed at Clifton between 1989 and 1997. The boat, which interestingly was never named, but was funded by Pete and Steve LeBan, holds many memories for James as a teenage or an ally recruit. When his four sons would ask him about the history of Clifton Lifeboat Station and what was his favourite lifeboat, the stories he always told them came back to the C-Class. James has been on station since he was 17 and was there when the C-Class was retired from service in 1997. Not much was known about C-522 and her fate after that time. However, James's 14-year-old son Ronan, inspired by his father's stories, embarked on a search to track her down. Through various internet searches and online forums, Ronan established that the lifeboat went from Clifton to Ballyglass in County Mayo, just for a short period. And it was used as a boarding boat for the all-weather lifeboat. And from there to the museum at Orinali pool headquarters and eventually to a private owner in England. Ronan located that owner, who was also an Orinali volunteer based in Western Supermare, a seaside town in North Somerset. A deal was done and Ronan purchased his father's favourite old lifeboat. The family brought her back to Clifton to the delight of the community, the Ornalli station crew and the many locals who remember her service. When I finally came across a photo of the C-Class, I said to Dad, is that her? Ronan told us. Dad said, yeah, it definitely is. After that, said Ronan, we had to have that boat. I love the boat. I love being out in the water. And the minute I am old enough, I will be joining the Ornalli we'll hold you to that Ronan. Now that is a heartwarming story in these challenging times and one which I am delighted to be able to share with you. For the ORNLI it certainly proves what I said at the outset. The ORNLI is a family and if you'd like to do something to support the ORNLI this is where I get a little ask in and do a little bit of exercise in the meantime the Ornealai Virtual Reindeer Run is currently open. If you search for it online, it will bring you to a link on the main Ornealai website where you can sign up. And of course, Christmas jumpers are optional. So this is Neve Stevenson at the Ornealai. Please take care and keep safe.
0: Neve Stevenson at the Ornealai. A heartwarming story indeed in these challenging and difficult times. And so we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland radio show, which is broadcast on 18 local community radio stations around Ireland, building the maritime community. And they are in Cork on CRY 104FM Yall, West Cork FM, Bear Island Radio and UCC Radio. In Dublin on Lear FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Kilkenny City Radio and in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and RSFM Bell Mollet. On Southwest Clare Radio, that's Radio Kirk Boschkeen. On West Limerick 102 FM and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. There are podcasts on Apple, Mixcloud, Spotify and the Times.ie, and on your favourite podcast service. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime community. Your views on any item in the programme or on any Maritime matter are most welcome. Email to Maritime Ireland Radio Show at gmail.com. That's Maritime Island Radio Show at gmail.com. Our website is TomAxSweeneyMarine.ie. Phone and text 0872 That's 0872 And my website and the blog at TomAxSweeneyMarine.ie. Sound supervision on the program by Justin Marr. More marine news on Twitter. And please do remember, the maritime sector matters. Until our next programme, the usual wish of fair sailing.